Hello and welcome to Natural Health with CNM, the College of Naturopathic Medicine. I'm your host, Michelle Sanchez. Now in today's episode, I'm joined by naturopath and herbalist Alex Fraze. Alex is also a CNM graduate. Alex is going to be talking to us about stress and anxiety. He'll be explaining what the stress response is, the role of our adrenal glands, and factors that exacerbate symptoms. Alex is going to share his advice and tips on how to manage stress and anxiety through diet, lifestyle, and herbal medicine. Alex is the founder of Healthy Pillars Clinic and is a naturopath, herbalist, nutritionist, and iridologist. He works with his clients to identify the core health issues that they are dealing with, using plants as bioenergetic, emotional, and physical medicine alongside his four healthy pillars. Alex gently facilitates each person on their healing journey. Hi, Alex. Welcome. Thanks for joining me today. It's great to have you on the show. Hey, Michelle. Thank you for having me. It's a pleasure to be here. Now, stress and anxiety are very fitting topics, especially with so much uncertainty happening in the world right now. So I'm really looking forward to hearing your advice and tips. But before we jump straight into it, can you please tell us a bit about yourself, how your health journey began and what led you to study natural medicine? So I I grew up um, around a family uh, who used to work in banking and I worked in banking myself for four years. So I kind of realized after, honestly, about the first year, this may not be the lifestyle for me. And having watched my father fall ill, uh, my grandparents uh, also have health issues as a result of it, I kind of just started realizing maybe I should be looking to something a bit more me. Mm-hmm. And I remember having a conversation with a friend of mine after he came back from a, a festival called Burning Man. And it was after this conversation where we were speaking about economics and free market stuff and everything like that, that a light bulb went off in my head. And I was like, I need to do something else. I need to follow my passion. And at the time, I was living in Edinburgh doing corporate finance. And I would finish my work ex- exceptionally quickly. Uh, just something I've always been able to do. And then the rest of the days, I would spend my time looking at ways to for the body to heal itself naturally and something I, I've always believed in as I was raised on homeopathy I was raised on uh, essentially cr- cranio cranial sacral therapy and osteopathy itself so I've always been involved in natural ways to heal the body and I've mm-hmm. always been very open towards it and I've had people say you've got something a bit different about you like and I, and I really understood it as a child to be honest and then when I got a bit older, I got attuned to Reiki and other energy practices and doors started opening, light bulb moments started happening. And it was just a natural progression for me to find a course which made me happy because banking at the time was definitely not making me happy. <laughs> <laughs> and after about two weeks of researching which courses would be good and which ones would sort of fit into my lifestyle where I could work at the same time as studying, CNM was for me the perfect fit. Yeah. And you studied nutrition and herbal medicine, wasn't it? Yeah. So I did the biomedicine course first year, and then I decided to do a summer school of naturopathy. And that was very informative because I was struggling to decide whether to do nutrition or to do herbal medicine. And after doing naturopathy, I decided, right, I want to do nutrition, herbal medicine, and iridology. And why not? <laughs> why not, right? And most people, when I told them what I was doing at college, looked at me as if I was mad as a hatter. 
which to be <laughs> fair, I, slight, I slightly am and I completely accept that. Uh, but it was, for me, it was very natural and very synchronistic to do both together because they both play a role within healing the body naturally. Absolutely. I couldn't agree more. Um, so obviously you'd been, you'd started this journey of kind of learning um, and then obviously all this other sort of knowledge opened up when you started the courses. So was there any particular thing that you learned on the course that was like a light bulb moment for you? So my first light bulb moment was with uh, Peter Jackson Main when I did the iridology within the mm-hmm. summer school. And that's what first opened my mind to a much deeper sense of, oh, wow, this is a wonderful rabbit hole to go down. And <laughs> it, it, it activated something inside of me to really want to delve deeper into this. And Pete being a herbalist, and I can call him a friend now, so it's, it helps that he would talk about natural ways and experiences that he'd had with clients, uh, with food, with herbs, and helping them to get better. So mm-hmm. that was one of my first light bulb moments. And then throughout, throughout the courses, I would have like drops of inspiration. I would pick up books either from the library or I would hear friends of mine talking about certain things and I would pick up a book and read about it. And I would bring it into class and everything would start. Pieces of the puzzle started being put together very quickly. And I found mm-hmm. that very, very helpful. And that was one of the things that really attracted me towards CNM was the fact that we got clinical hours. So by the time I was done, I had 700 hours of clinical practice under my belt. And I know with most yeah. other places, you maybe get 200, usually less, a lot of us online these days. So it's for me, it was a big selling point and being able to then start practicing what, you get, I guess you would say, practice what you preach. So it was yeah. very nice to be able to walk walk the talk. Absolutely. Yeah, I couldn't agree more. I think, as you're saying, you've got all those those bits of puzzle and it they all start to come together and I think the the clinical practice it kind of really cements that knowledge and because sometimes you can read all the books but unless you're actually seeing things in action and uh, practicing it in a in a clinical setting it's what really sort of um yeah brings all all the knowledge together and gives you the confidence to go out on your own as well for sure exactly that exactly that so since graduating from CNM, you've built a very successful practice and business, Healthy Pillars, specializing in what you call the four pillars of traditional therapy. Now, how did you get started and what took you in this direction? And can you also explain for those who are not aware what the four healthy pillars are? Uh, yeah, sure. So my, my healthy pillars have evolved from, let's say, nutrition, naturopathy, iridology, and herbal medicine to something more holistic, something which I call sort of mod body, mind, spirit, and nature. So mm-hmm. the connection of all of them together create a very healthy environment within oneself because you start connecting everything uh, within yourself, but you start realizing the interconnectedness of everything. And that's how I practice, and that's something that I've developed uh, myself, but something that's just come along very naturally and very easily. And what essentially I did in the beginning was I was looking for I was looking for private clients, which I was getting, and then I started working at a couple of I worked at a retreat, uh, working with fasting because fasting is something I I believe in deeply, uh, especially mm-hmm. having fasted a lot over the course of my life, and I was working with this fasting company for how long? Was this, let's say altogether about eight months. And then yep. I joined a clinic in London 
for about six months just to experience something different. All the while, I was still having my private clients outside of that as well. So it was learning sort of on the job was also having uh, other things to sort of keep me going. So I would tie multiple things together, which for, for me personally was very beneficial. Um, it may not be that way for everybody, but for me, that's what worked. And that's, that's all I can say. Absolutely. And I think everybody has a different journey, don't they? Um, and sometimes we're attracted to more, uh, to different things, aren't we? And sort of, as you say, you're drawn into a, like a different direction. Yes, exactly. And you can, it's always best to go wherever the river is trying to take you. If you try to fight against the current, you're going to have a bad time, I'm afraid. Yeah, exactly. Don't fight it. Now let's move on to stress and anxiety. Now, quite often, anxiety is a symptom that presents when someone is stressed or they're experiencing a stressful situation of some sort. So can you please talk us through the stress response and what is happening to our bodies when we get stressed? Sure thing. Uh, it's it's a simple process, yet it can be slightly complicated at the same time. So I am of the belief that your stress response comes as a result of a dysregulation of your limbic system. So what that means is your limbic system is essentially an emotional, it's like your emotional response from your body, but it's embedded within your nervous system, which then affects the way all the messages are sent across to your body to different organs. So one of the main places which is affected, which aside from the nervous system, is something called the adrenal glands. And these mm -hmm. are little, I mean, teeny weeny little guys who sit on top of your kidneys, who essentially keep you alive. They give you your power. They give you your life. They secrete something called adrenaline and noradrenaline. They also secrete androgens, which are sex hormones. So they'll help you secrete... Uh, testosterone, estrogen, progesterone, they aren't your main sources of it, but they help you secrete a certain amount of it. And when you are in a, a stress response, when you get activated in that way, you start secreting far more adrenaline, far more noradrenaline, and you encounter something what's called the fight, flight, or freeze response. So most people think, oh, it's just fight or flight, but for me, it's fight, flight, or freeze. So for me, it's three mm -hmm. Fs. And you'll notice when that's happening because your breath becomes more shallow, you are only breathing from the top part of your lungs, your palms get slightly heavier, get slightly sweatier, your eyes start narrowing, your blood pressure starts dropping, or it can rise depending on if it's chronic or not chronic. Um, you, get, you can have issues with your blood sugar suddenly dropping uh, as a result of too much insulin and cortisol being pumped around your system in a way which dysregulates the balance of your natural body's way of being, so to speak. So mm -hmm. it's, it's very much a, it's a very, very powerful system. And it's something that we actually do have control over if we can learn to negate certain things that trigger us. Yes, absolutely. And that was going to be my next question. So why does stress affect some people more than others? Because, you know, some people, they're just kind of, yeah, they don't, it doesn't affect them as much as other people get a whole host of symptoms. And it um, can be a bit debilitating sometimes for them. Very much so. And some of it is down to genetics. Some of it's down to, you know, the genes that you hold. Some people are more predisposed to reacting in a certain way due to their adrenal the adrenal system imbalance, the nervous system balance or imbalance. So all of these play a base role, but then also how you are emotionally sort of 
plays, I say sort of, it really does play a massive role in things. So are you someone who's afraid of confrontation? Are you someone who gets jolted very easily? Are you someone who's afraid of conflict or of criticism? Um, are you someone who angers quickly? Um, all of these play a role in how you respond and in the way that you respond. You know, certain people uh, with confrontation, they may shy away from it, but they'll get super, super nervous. It's almost like they're a little mouse. Other people mm -hmm. come across as as a giant lion with it. They get very angry, very hot, very you know aggressive, and you have two very different responses because of two very different people, and also the way that you are raised uh, from your family home and your life and the friends you surround yourself with and the environment you're in also plays a massive role because that conditions you to react in a certain way. If you are born and raised you know in a country or in a a borough or a city with a lot of torments, a lot of issues, you know, wartime, you're going to have almost a, a better ability to navigate stress because you're used to it. So it becomes, it becomes second nature to you. But if you're someone who is naturally also very, very sensitive and you are raised in a, in a place where there is no stress and you never encounter it, when you do encounter it, you're like, oh my God, what is this? What do I do? I have no idea what this is because mm -hmm. you're not accustomed to it. So it's actually quite useful to have some stress in your life because it starts building up a tolerance. It's like working out at the gym, so to speak. It's like you want to go slowly. You don't want to overdo it because then you overtrain and you crash out. So if you have too much stress in your life, it becomes chronic. You can get things like chronic fatigue uh, which and also many other issues, so digestive issues as a result of that. So it's it's nature and nurture at the same time, if that makes sense. Yes, absolutely. And yeah, I couldn't agree more. It's always multifactorial, isn't it? And I agree with you there. I think, yes, our bodies are conditioned. So, you know, what you were saying about some sort of growing up and having a little bit of stress in their life uh, due to various different factors, then they are able to cope a little bit better than someone that, you know, has been living in a bubble, so to speak, you know. So what's, what are the long-term complications of stress? So you talked about chronic fatigue. So if it's not managed properly and we've got, because I mean, short, short amounts of stress or acute stress can be good sometimes because it kind of uh, propels us forward and helps us get things done sometimes. But what are the long-term complications of stress? So there are quite a few, unfortunately. Um, one of them, as I said, was chronic fatigue, where you feel as if you can't get off the bed, you can't get off the couch, uh, you struggle to do your daily things, you struggle to get motivated. Uh, things like high levels of anxiety, depression can come about as a result of it. Um, you have issues such as... Well, a few studies have shown ex exacerbations of stress can lead to issues of, let's say, Crohn's or ulcerative colitis and other autoimmune conditions as a result of a dysregulated pathways within your body. Uh, it also depends on what you're doing whilst you're stressed. You know, if you're eating a lot of junk food, a lot of rubbish food, unfortunately, fortunately, you know, your, your refined foods, your refined sugars fried foods, things like that, your digestive system, your liver system is also going to be crying out for help. Mm -hmm. If you are someone who tends towards, let's say, drinking to reduce the stress, you may have liver issues as a result of it. All that congestion of all that anger, that heat, you know, fatty, fatty, uh, sorry, not fatty acids, fatty liver <laughs> deposits, or you can even get non-alcoholic fatty liver disease as a, as a result of it, of just constant, constant stress. You can 
come across things such as Addison's disease, which is, you know, that's severe after chronic amounts of stress. Uh, you can get hypertension, you can get high blood pressure, you can get coronary issues, so heart issues with your valves, um, with the levels of cholesterol in your blood. It's very much from the physical perspective, you can really sort of find a lot of stuff comes about from your regulation of stress or inability to regulate stress. Yes, absolutely. And it's kind of a vicious cycle, as you say, you know, unless you're sort of dealing with the stress, you're then, you know, reaching for the wrong foods, you know, doing maybe lifestyle habits that are going to make more stress. And yeah, and I think it's quite hard nowadays because we sort of live in this digital age and everyone's so busy and doing so many things all the time that we're, there is constant stress all around us. But I think a lot of the time we are creating it ourselves um, by agreeing to all these things. And, you know, it's, um, yeah, it's tricky sometimes. Yeah, very much. And, and I couldn't agree more with what you said. Like we are always surrounded by stress and we are allowing ourselves to become stressed as a result of the way we are living our lives. So if we're constantly on our phones or watching the news, there's always some form of impulse to mm-hmm. give us either a dopamine reward system where we're always essentially getting a little bit high off our own supply, uh, mm-hmm. which isn't always the best of things. Um, no. It perpetuates <laughs> the cycle. And we just, we kind of go down what I call the whirlpool of death. You just, it's a very slippery slope and it takes a lot of effort in the beginning to change those ways. But once you do, the stress can disappear actually quite quickly. Yes, absolutely. I like that, the whirlpool of death. That sounds very scary. (laughs) Um, And not a place that we want to be, is it? You know, and it is. It's about making that conscious effort, taking action. Um, So, yeah, so we're going to be talking about that shortly in terms of um, some solutions for people with stress and anxiety. So let's just touch on anxiety now. So what what is happening in the body when anxiety occurs and what symptoms might present for somebody? So... Again, a lot is happening, but essentially speaking, your nervous system is it's what I call it's like buzzing like a bee. And we're not meant to mm-hmm. be sort of wired like that the whole time. If you're like, that's kind of what's going on in your nervous system, if I'm going to keep it in English. Um, and as a result of that, you become hypersensitive and hyper aware of things. You start having circling thoughts. You start being very reactive you start fearing the reactions of others and your reaction if you're in public or if you're having a confrontation or with friends, you you know, you don't really want to go out so much. You may develop a sense of, I'm just going to stay home because it's nice and safe here. Mm-hmm. And your anxiety, everyone presents in slightly different ways. This is the thing. Um, certain people's anxiety, they then lean towards food, like comfort foods or comfort drinks. Um, they may start acting out in ways which aren't normal for them. So everyone's, let's say, normal baseline is going to be different. So you start doing things which aren't a part of your life or how it's been before, which creates, you know, slight issues. Um, It also, you stop having that type of connection with people. You you're, you're having an inability to connect with people on a deeper level because you're just so anxious and you're nervous and you're, you're almost like an owl with your, eye, with your eyes peeled back and you're always on alert um, yeah. and un, unable to just be present in the moment. 
Yes, I think there's an overwhelming fear of um, something's going to happen. I know a lot of people with anxiety, they're always kind of worrying about things that are, you know, just not happening right at the moment, but they're worrying about, yeah, that, that fear of the unknown as well, that something may happen. Yes, exactly. And there's a lot of that worrying too much about the future thing. And there's, I can't remember who said it, but if you, if you have anxiety, if you have fears, you're probably living too much in the future. And mm-hmm. if you're not present in the moment, this is what happens. Your mind starts to wander and your mind is very good at wandering down these little rabbit holes, which aren't mm-hmm. beneficial for it, you know? <laughs> so it, it's a case of creating little things like mindfulness and just being aware of what is going to trigger you to go down the rabbit hole and see if you can actually, instead of going left, you start going right instead. Yes, absolutely. And I think we're all guilty of that sometimes, but it's again, trying to reel it in and, you know, control that. And yeah, living in the present is yeah a really key point. So what are some other causes of anxiety? Now, are there any dietary and lifestyle factors that exacerbate anxiety? Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Huge, huge amount. Plenty. So if you are, oh, plenty. Oh, God. Yeah. It's like, okay. So where do I start? Um, but if you're having a diet high in sugars, high in fatty foods, uh, refined carbohydrates, and they make up the bulk of your diet, you're going to have a problem, my man. Uh, <laughs> because we're not built to eat this type of food. This is all man-made. And the more man-made food you do, the further away you get from a natural state. So you're going to encounter digestive problems, uh, your gut microbiome. So the good bacteria in your in your gut are going to start perishing a bit because the food that they need to survive isn't going to be there. And yep. then it leads to bacteria, which let's say the bad bacteria, its favorite food is now in abundance. And when you start thinking, hang on, we produce 60 to 70% of our serotonin within our gut. Our gut has now been called our second brain. If you're not feeding it the right foods, you're not feeding your second brain the right foods, and your you know your first brain literally revolves around the second brain, that area absorbing the food and feeding it. If you're not feeding it the right foods, yeah, it's going to be uh, there's going to be a slight issue there, I'm afraid. And this is where your anxiety can come from. Like a lot of people feel anxiety. They say, "I feel it in my stomach. I feel a ball in my stomach." And yeah, of course you will. Because if you're not nourishing yourself in the right ways with the right foods, there's going to be an imbalance in that area. So when you think about, okay, what foods are going to best help me? What foods do I need to eat? It's always going to be fruits, vegetables as the highest amount of goodness for you. And then you have nuts and seeds, you have certain grains, and you have protein, Um Depending if you're a vegan or not a vegan, you have different sources of protein, which are all beneficial to helping you then convert serotonin into, well, not only melatonin, but sorry, breaking down the foods into serotonin to help boost you. And then also breaking that down into melatonin so you sleep better. So then you can then break down all the stuff that needs to be broken down whilst you sleep. So when you wake up, you can feel refreshed and start feeling good again. Like it has a knock-on reaction down the line. So if you are not digesting your food well and it can affect your sleep and then when you're not sleeping well you don't feel refreshed when you wake up that starts the very slippery slope of anxiety and then exacerbation of stress absolutely yeah i couldn't agree more and coffee too uh that's a big one isn't it 
Oh yeah, coffee as well. So that that very much depends actually on your genetics. So if you have certain genes which allows you to detoxify caffeine, uh, you're lucky. So there are two types. There are types whereby you can detoxify caffeine in meat rather, rather quickly and it doesn't affect you on a stress level. And there are types of genes, for instance, mine, I'll use myself as an example. I take over 12 hours to break down caffeine. It stays in my system a long time. Oh, wow. But I don't have the but I don't have the gene that gives me anxiety. So I can have coffee without getting anxiety. But there are certain people who also then have a gene for anxiety. So the caffeine makes you quite anxious, makes you quite wired. And the problem is if you're too stressed, honestly, it doesn't matter if you have the right genes. If you have it too, if you're too stressed and you're having too much caffeine, it's going to cause issues down the line because you're just pumping yourself full of a stimulant. And mm-hmm. if you're going to be stimulated and you have anxiety, you're just going to be a stimulated, anxious person. You're not going to be a focused person. You're going to be sort of high and wired and very anxious and not in a very good place. Absolutely. Yeah. Couldn't agree more. Um, Yeah. I think that's the thing is everyone's so different and to certain things, some people are super sensitive, so they are going to, you know, react to certain things more, more than others. Um, And I think other sort of in terms of lifestyle factors, things like screen time and, being on your phone too much, social media. I think that also contributes to anxiety because people, yeah, there's that sort of like, I don't know whether they're getting negative comments or they're, you know, you know, um, comparing themselves to other people, that sort of stuff. Mm -hmm. Do I have enough likes? Why isn't this getting enough likes? Or (laughs) I want to be more like that person. Why can't I be like that person? And it just creates a mental mind mind loop this whirlpool of death i was talking about um, and the thing is with this screen time if we are having our screens you know too close to bedtime and we're not using a blue light filter uh, of any sorts then we are going to be destroying our ability to create melatonin and then we're going to be destroying our ability to sleep well which then again just perpetuates the cycle so if you have that type of lack of sleep cycle and then you're going to be on your phone the whole time comparing yourself or looking at magazines or you're on youtube or whatever it is and you're comparing yourself to other people, you are taking yourself out of the present moment and you're actually not allowing yourself to be grateful for what you have and where you are, which then creates a state of anxiety. Absolutely. It definitely does. Okay, so now let's talk about some natural solutions. Um, So what would you recommend for anyone who's stressed and experiencing anxiety? What can they do naturopathically through diet, lifestyle and nutrition to improve their health? I know you've touched on the diet a little bit there, but so can you give us some more guidance on what people can do? Yeah, absolutely. So one of the first things I will always do as... Uh, if I'm seeing someone like that and I can see their diet is not clean, I will ask them to make at least three changes to their diet. So one of them is always going to be, please remove caffeine. Um, for me, even if it's green tea, just remove it. You can take an L-theanine supplement instead if you want to have L-theanine from, from green tea, and that would be great for calming you down. Increase the amount of leafy green vegetables. Um, I don't care if it's spinach, if it's kale, if it's chard. Uh, watercress, rocket, whatever it is, increase more of that into your diet. Have good, solid foods. I love using squashes personally over, let's say, things like potato and sweet potato, mm-hmm. but that's a personal preference. Um, but those type of foods are also great at helping to nourish your body and bring you down to ground. So they're not only full of great vitamins and minerals, but they're very grounding. 
And people who are stressed and who are anxious tend to be stuck in their heads, so they need to be pulled down to the ground. So these type of foods are wonderful. Good fruits are also very, very important. Um, and I'll, I'll include these fruits just to sort of balance out with those who do have the blood sugar stuff. So you're looking at your berries, strawberries, blueberries, blackberries. You're looking at things like papaya. You're looking at things like melon, um, all these wonderful, wonderful fruits. If you, if you can do prickly, prickly pears, they're also absolutely great. Um, I always love adding in smoothies for my clients because it's a nice, easy way to get in a lot of nutrition in a short amount of time. But I always mm-hmm. tell them, you must chew your smoothie. To which they're like, but it's a smoothie. I thought you just swallow it. I'm like, no, 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 no. Because you need to chew your food. Um, and the thing is, if you're just swallowing a smoothie and it's just going into your belly, you haven't created that cascade system whereby your mouth is activated with the right enzymes, which then sends a signal to your stomach to be like, hey, food's coming in, buddy. Better get ready. So you don't have that. So Good a lot point. of people who have issues with smoothies and like, oh, I don't like them, I get bloated. I'm like, yeah, but are you chewing your smoothie? Are you not? And for the most part, they're not. And then when they chew the smoothie, they realize, oh, I don't really have bloating anymore, actually. Um, and for those who still do, I will, I will always recommend either digestive enzymes um, or bitters. So bitter herbs are my... I love using bitter herbs because not only are you getting the bitterness to stimulate your, your digestive enzymes, you can st- stimulate your pancreatic enzymes, you can stimulate stomach acid, you're also going to be affecting other body parts. So if I think of one such as, let's say, barberry bark, for instance, which is one of my favorite herbs, because it's going to stimulate your pancreatic enzymes, it's going to stimulate your liver enzymes, your hydrochloric acid, but it's also going to be working on cleaning your gallbladder, regulating your blood sugar. It's going to be working on so many other facets of your body and also working on your gut health that I can give you a couple of herbs and it kind of does the trick. And if I'm going to be relating digestion, so bitters are always a a must. Uh, Carminatives, which are great. So things like cinnamon, ginger, even chamomile are great to sort of get the digestive system moving and moving gently. You can put in mint or peppermint or spearmint if you don't suffer from reflux. They're wonderful to get them moving and they help you actually to relax. So these herbs all have a relaxing quality to them, especially for your mind. And I love adding in something called nervines. Nervines are great for your nervous system to just bring it back to a state of balance. And you have mm-hmm. things like vervain, skullcap, passionflower, which all have an abundance of studies behind them showing that they help with calming down the nervous system and uh, to just keep you on track. If you are... You know, if you wanted to carry on doing a little bit of exercise, adaptogens are great as well. Um, adaptogens actually aren't my go-to for stress. I always prefer nervines because you need to work with the nervous system to send the right signals to calm that down. Adaptogens are usually my second or my third port of call. So depending if your digestion is impaired or not, something like ashwagandha is great. But if you have impaired digestion, ashwagandha is not so, not so great. Um, so if that's the case, something like, especially for women, Shatavari is absolutely wonderful for helping you to balance, uh, stress levels and endurance to stress. You have things like Shisandra, which are, oh, it's one of my favorite herbs. We used to have a saying in my class, it's like, just chuck it in everything. 
it's one of those which does so, so much in terms of balancing your stress levels, calming your mind, calming your spirit. Uh, it's also great for digestion. It's great for your liver. It's great for your lungs. So it's, it's one of those kind of dual herbs. Um, and let's say one, I'll give you two more adaptogens, which I like to use something like a reishi mushroom, which is wonderful as well. It's very nice and calming for your spirit. So it helps to calm the spirit whilst nourishing your adrenals. And also it's very good for your digestive system and your liver because it's slightly bitter. It's also going to help stimulate, um, digestive processes, which is kind of like a double whammy, to be honest. Um, and Mm -hmm. there's always, I'll go with holy basil as as the last one I'll recommend here because Tulsi holy basil does oh god it does everything uh, the amount of research behind this herb is stunning um, it's great for your adrenal levels it's great for your nervous system it's great for digestion uh, it's great for your pancreas it's great for your liver it's great for parasites I mean it, it kind of does a bit of everything which is, which is wonderful um, oh there's one other herb which I would love to mention and that's motherwort motherwort is wonderful, um, especially for women who are stressed, anxious, and and are having issues with their menstrual cycle. So it can help to relax things and bring things back into order as well. A great list of herbs there, Alex. There's some really fantastic ones in there. So for those who aren't aware, an adaptogen is a type of herb that helps the body adapt to stress. So, um, so how should people take herbs, Alex? What's the best? So you've reeled off sort of a list of different herbs there. Can you explain yeah. to people how they should take them and, and what kind of doses and that sort of thing? Sure thing. So, it, it, okay, so there, there are different ways to take them based on how you are going to be t- uh, buying them. So if you're buying them in a tincture, which I usually recommend to most people, so I would say seeing a professional herbalist or naturopath who can prescribe you something based on what you need. That's that's the best. And you would most likely take five milliliters with a little bit of water just before your meals or on an empty stomach. It, it, it depends. If you're getting it in capsule form, you could be looking at taking one to two capsules depending on the strength and especially for the adaptogens. Uh, most adaptogens, I would always recommend taking them latest, you know, six o'clock. I don't want to be taking adaptogens past seven o'clock unless I know I'm going to be doing a late shift. You know, I, I have a lot of work to do just because I can tend to keep you going. More, more of a stimulating effect. Yeah. So for the evenings, I would always recommend the Nervines, having a lovely Nervine tea. So Nervine, you can easily do one teaspoon and you can infuse it. Or yeah, usually infuse it for about 20 minutes in some very hot water, and then you can strain and serve it. If you want, you can add in a little bit of honey or a sweetener of your liking. It's really up to you. The best had sort of throughout the day to sort of keep your nervous system in check, to make sure you're also being nourished whilst you're kind of being stressed out, which is very useful. And anything to do with digestion, taking before your meals, you know, five to 10 minutes, maybe 15 minutes before your meals. So if you're having bitters, you will, it's actually really important to taste them, I'm afraid. So for those of you who don't like bitter things, I'm going to have to say suck it up <laughs> because your bitter, your bitter receptors need to be stimulated for your stomach to then and your intestines to be like, oh, okay, we've got food coming in, guys. We need to be ready. Let's go. Um, so taking bitter capsules without tasting it kind of defeats the purpose, I'm afraid. Uh, but this is where yeah. you can have things like you, you can mix 
the bitters with something like a chamomile or a cinnamon, a ginger, a bit of cardamom, a bit of fennel to sort of balance it out, make it easier. And for me, tinctures are always the way to go because they act more quickly. Um, if you're patient enough to make it into a tea, you can take, you know, let's say you want to do a bit of fennel, a bit of ginger, and let's say a bit of barberry bark. Uh, you can take half half a teaspoon each and put them into some boiling water, decoct it for 20 minutes. Uh, if you don't have the time, you can put it into a tea ball. So you leave that in a mug for 20 minutes and you let it infuse and you can drink it, you know, 15 minutes before your meal. Uh, again, I would always say, please refer to a practitioner uh, to give you the correct advice and to make sure that you're getting the right herbs for you because everyone's constitution is different. So for instance, let's say I'm super hot and let's say you're super cold, Michelle, we would get different herbs based on our constitution. Yes, no, I agree. And I, yeah, couldn't agree with you more. We definitely need to do it under the guidance of a practitioner, especially if you've got multiple things going on. And yet yeah, tinctures, which are liquid herbals, are always better in my opinion because they do, they sort of act more quickly on the body. Yeah. I'm a big fan of those. Okay, wonderful. So are there any nutritional supplements that you would recommend for stress and anxiety? Yeah, so one of the ones I would recommend is vitamin C. Uh, However, most people think, oh, vitamin C, and then they look at it as ascorbic acid, which is useful. However, it's only one part of vitamin C. Vitamin C has about four parts to it. So I always love saying if you can get your vitamin C from whole foods, you're doing the best job possible. Um, if you can't do it from whole foods, so looking at, let's say, easy ones, oranges, lemons, things like that, you can, and you need to juice and have the peel, by the way, because that's where all the good stuff is. It's not just the mm-hmm. juice. And you will be looking at whole food supplements. So we'll be looking at the supplements and making sure that it's a whole food supplement, uh, making sure you got your bioflavonoids, your vitamin P as well inside of there. Uh, other supplements I would recommend are something called phosphodylcholine. So it's great for your brain. Uh, it's great to sort of keep your nervous system fed. It's great for you in general. Uh, we're looking at magnesium. So there's magnesium glycinate, which is great for the body. And it's one of the most absorbable forms. I prefer taking that one at night. And then there's also magnesium l 3 I prefer taking that one during the day because it crosses your blood-brain barrier. So you can keep going during the day with this, which personally I think is pretty good and pretty wonderful. Uh, You can also have B vitamins. Uh, B vitamins I usually recommend when I know the person has been burnt out for a while or is on the severe stress. And a couple of months of support is very, very useful. Again, if you can get it from whole foods as opposed to synthetics, for me, you're winning. Uh, synthetics only get absorbed by a certain percentage because it's not natural. Your body's not used to absorbing things which are natural. So natural state is, for me, my it's it's my go-to, to be honest. And what foods would people be looking for to get their B vitamins, Alex? If I keep it simple, uh, you're going to be looking at certain fruits and vegetables, which have a high content of your B vitamins. It's super, super easy to get them from there. As long as you're having, you know, what the government guidelines are like five per day, I would say if you can do eight portions to 10 portions of fruit and vegetables per day, you're going to be in very good hands. Um, 
and it just means making a few dietary uh, changes for, for the better. Absolutely. So yeah, so lots of you, you've said it before, your dark leafy green vegetables, like your broccoli, spinach, legumes, your nuts cabbages. Oh, things like chia seeds, hemp seeds, also absolutely wonderful, jam-packed full of nutrients. Uh, the only thing with things like chia seeds and nuts and legumes, you're going to have to soak them and, yeah, because they have phytic acid, which stops you absorbing the nutrients. So I remember re- reading uh, the Western A. Price book, um, and he was saying, and I've actually found it works as well, is to soak your even your grains your nuts, your seeds, you soak them with water and you soak them overnight and you add in either apple cider vinegar or you add in lemon juice, something acidic, which then breaks down the phytic acid more. So when it is time to have the legumes, the grains, everything else, the phytic acid has been degraded as much as possible so that you can absorb the food much better without any, hopefully without any digestive issues. Yes, very good point. Because I think a lot of people do struggle with that and they get the bloating and the wind. So yeah, and it's all down to the, the, as you say, the phytic acid. So now, are there any other daily practices that people could try? You know, um, exercise, any other lifestyle things they should be doing to reduce stress and anxiety? Absolutely. So I love using essential oils. I think essential oils are wonderful for Mm. helping you with stress. Actually, my grandmother was an aromatherapist and she taught me a lot about aromatherapy. And I use oils daily. Actually, my aftershave is oil, is essential oils uh, and a little bit of alcohol to keep it sort of good to go. And it really helps to ground you, to keep you calm. Things like lavender, Mm -hmm. vetiver, uh, cedarwood, frankincense, myrrh, they're all beautiful oils. Wild mm. orange as well, absolutely beautiful to do. Um, if you're someone who is generally quite tense and you can feel your body being quite tense, Epsom salt baths are absolutely great to do and you can even add in a few essential oils into the bath. Uh, what's also great is actually getting some form of manual treatment, so a massage if you can. Is going to really help you relax, allow you to sort of fall into a state of trust and surrender, which will really help with your stress levels. If you can't afford a massage, personally, what I love to do, I love to do foam rolling and lacrosse ball work to really get those knots out and loosen on my body. And then if I feel like it, I will do a bit of yoga afterwards or I will stretch. Those things are great for opening up the muscles, opening up the fascia, really helping you to just be more calm. And you'll notice after foam rolling and then doing a stretch or some yoga, you go into what I call marshmallow mode. <laughs> yes. And marshmallow <laughs> mode is the mode you want to be in because that's where you can really feel nice and calm and you can really get a lot of benefit from it. Um, I also say animal therapy or art therapy are great ways of going about it. So animals naturally help us become more calm. They help to ground us. Art therapy is a great way to express yourself, how you're feeling. So it really allows you to be in touch with yourself and connect with yourself, which for me is of paramount importance uh, to removing the stress out of your body and, and out of your system. Absolutely. Some really great tips there. And yeah, that's it. It's just all about self-care and just um, looking after yourself and just 
relieving some of the stress or lightening the load as well. So um, yeah, I'm always up for an Epsom salt bath with some essential oils. That's uh, yeah, definitely relaxes the body instantly. So uh, yeah, some great tips. <laughs> <laughs> so just quickly, what is a lacrosse ball work? I've not heard that before. Okay, so it's probably something I've termed just myself, but it's um, it's a form of myofascial work where you buy a lacrosse ball or a massage ball, but it's it's very hard, it's very firm, it's made out of pure rubber, so it's like giving yourself a deep tissue massage. Oh right, so okay. It's it's great. It's pretty cheap, and especially for people who can't afford to get massage therapies, this is a wonderful way to go about it. And there are plenty of tutorials on YouTube, on Instagram, about how to use them for those that don't know how to use them. Um, I will say for those of you who have a weak pain tolerance, this is going to be not very fun for you, but you will build (laughs) up your tolerance and you will end up falling in love with it. Oh, okay, great. So it's not one of those spiky balls. It's different. It's a different type of ball. You know those ones with the big spikes on them? Yeah, yeah. So they have those, um, but no, these, this one is without without the spikes. This is something you could throw, throw against the wall and it would bounce back to you. Okay. Okay, great. Yes, we'll... Uh... We'll, we'll check that one out. Um, okay, just to finish up now, Alex, I'd like to ask you, what is your top health tip for anyone wanting to improve their health right now? Ooh. Um, just to put you on the spot. <laughs> okay, so my top health tip is actually to start becoming self-aware. When you can start raising your own self-awareness, you can start figuring out what it is that you need. So you can start, and then from there, you can then go to the right people to help you with what you need or to find the right information for what you need. And I would say that is the number one healthcare tip because if you're not self-aware, you're always going to be in trouble in a state of flux and you're not going to be very present. So awareness for me is the top health tip that you can have. Yes, some fantastic tips and advice there, Alex. And I think they've definitely given people a lot to to go away and think about and to work on and to try. So, um, yeah, thank you so much for joining me today to share your knowledge and experience. Oh, well, thank you for having me. I've had a lot of uh, fun and I hope people uh, like the information that's been shared. Absolutely. Well, that's all we've got time for today. Thanks for listening and a big thank you to Alex for sharing his wisdom with us. You can find all the information discussed today and more about Alex in the show notes on the CNM website at www.cnmpodcast.com. If you're interested in learning more about nutrition, herbal medicine or naturopathy, check out CNM's range of short courses and diplomas. We have a series of open events coming up in October and you can find all the details on the CNM website at www.naturopathy-uk.com. Join us again next week when I talk to natural chef and author Rachel DeThample about fermentation and how to ferment foods at home. Thanks so much for joining us today. If you enjoyed the show, make sure you subscribe through your favorite podcatcher so you don't miss any future episodes. While you're there, we'd love it if you could leave us a rating or review as this helps us when creating new content.